The Gospel of John, chapter 16. I want to talk to you tonight about the promises of Jesus. Now, there are many promises. We're going to look at the promises listed here just in this chapter. John chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses 17, or verse 7, excuse me, through verse 33. Bear with me here. Let me get my Bible open. Gospel of John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. And I'm going to read a reasonably lengthy passage of Scripture, but I want you to see these with me this evening as we talk about seven promises. Now, there are many promises in the Bible. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises. But we have in a very small passage of Scripture, compacted together, seven, of course, the number of perfection, the number of completion in the Bible. We have seven promises from Jesus. And the Bible tells us in John 16, in verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I not, go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father." Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born of the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto if ye ask nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, 
For the Father himself loveth you, because he hath loved me and hath believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. His disciples saith unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come. And ye shall be scattered, every man of his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for that peace, Lord, that we could talk about this morning. And Lord, how beautifully dovetailed we see the message tonight. Lord, as we continue with the thought of having our joy full, as we continue the thought of having peace, that perfect peace. Lord, as we think about filling the room of our mind with your promises. Lord, would you bless us tonight as we pause for a few moments, as we open your word together, as we examine this passage before us. And Lord, as we see these promises, these seven promises tonight, Lord, would you minister to our hearts. Lord, would your will be done. Bless us, Lord. Lord, we sure love you. We thank you that we know we can take your word to the bank, that we can believe your word and your promises. Lord, help us tonight as we look together. Lord, help me to preach and write your truth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look together this evening, as we look at these promises of God, as we see this passage, we see seven distinct things that I want us to pause and think about just for a little bit. So often, as we talked about this morning, and tonight a bit of an extension of the message this morning, so often we think about those things that we ought not think about. So often we focus and we, we spend time pointing our mind and our heart to those things that, number one, don't matter. Number two, we cannot change. Number three, they're not good. They're not pleasant. They're not the things that God says think on these things. They're the wrong things to think about. The absolute wrong things. I'll never forget when Colton flew to Alberta the first time. He came to our house. He stayed with us, was it a week? The first morning he was at our house, I asked him if he liked coffee. That was a test. If he said no, I was going to kick him out of the house. And uh, he didn't like coffee. He just found out that I, I'd kill him if he didn't, so he's pretended ever since he likes coffee. But no, Colton loves coffee because he's a Christian. And unlike Brother Krim, Brother Krim needs to get saved. But one day, we're praying, Brother Krim, one, one day. And, uh, but Colton is, you know, he hasn't fully grown up yet. He's not, he's almost there. He's, he's, he's maturing. Uh, he's growing, but he hasn't grown all the way up yet. And so he has to have a little bit of sugar and a little bit of cream in his coffee. 
And one day, you know, he'll, he'll get victory over that sin in his life too. But he asked, I believe, one of my daughters, maybe it was, was it Rebecca, I think, and asked Rebecca, where's the sugar? Now, in my house, uh, we, we don't have normally sugar out on the counter. Back then, especially, uh, before Rebecca was married, there was only coconut sugar. Only natural sugars or honey, that was it. There was no, she had to look in the house to find sugar. And she said, well, there's coconut sugar there on the counter. So Colton was in the kitchen by himself. He made the cup of coffee. He looks and he looks and he sees a container, glass container on the counter of white stuff, kind of white, brown, white looking stuff. And he thought, well, that must be coconut sugar. So we got a spoon, put it in the coffee. It was whole wheat flour. <laughs> and then he looks and he sees this little cup on, the, on our stovetop. And then he said, oh, that must be the coconut. And he said, well, the flour, that's okay. I can deal with that. So we got a spoon and he scooped out of the little ceramic mug that's on the top of our stove and scooped and put that in his coffee. And he realized very quickly that he had put bacon grease in his coffee. So he put whole wheat flour and bacon grease. That wasn't what he wanted. Those were not the things that should have been in his coffee. And uh, he committed an unpardonable sin. He wasted a cup of coffee. Uh, and then finally, I think one of the girls came in and said, oh, no, here's the coconut sugar. This is where the sugar's at. And he finally got the right thing in his coffee. Now, imagine, if you will, if you like coffee, drinking a cup of coffee full of whole wheat flour and bacon grease. How many of you think you'd enjoy that? Josh, you might, you might like No, I, no one's going to enjoy that. that. That's not the right thing to have in coffee. The right thing to have in coffee is when people ask me, uh, hey, there are two things. They ask me, Pastor, what do you, how do you take your coffee? Sometimes I'll say very seriously. Uh, sometimes I'll say with extra caffeine. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to have coffee, maybe some milk, maybe some cream, maybe some sugar, but, but not whole wheat flour, uh, not bacon grease. Now, in our mind so often, we have the wrong ingredients. And I want us tonight to, to throw those out. And I want us to start again a little bit this evening. And I want us to pause on purpose tonight I want us to think about these promises. Now, there's a whole lot of promises. This is not all the promises of God. But I want us to narrow in just for a little bit and just see in the small passages of Scripture as we look at complete canon of Scripture, we're talking about a small portion. And yet we find seven promises. Number one tonight, we see the promise of the Comforter. The promise of the Comforter. Look in verse 7. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But notice the last part. But if I depart, now stop there a moment. Did Jesus depart? Did he depart? He did, didn't he? Acts, Acts records that uh, as the disciples were there, that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the disciples were there slack-jawed looking up into heaven. And the angels came down and said, hey, you big dummies, get, get busy. He's coming back or something like that. That's what it says in the hillbilly original 
you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus is coming back. But they said he was coming back. Why? Because he left. When Stephen was dying, as Stephen was being stoned to death for his faith, Stephen looked up and he saw the heavens opened and he saw Jesus. Where? In heaven. Standing on the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus left. So Jesus said while he was here, notice verse 7, he said while he was here, if I go away, he went away. So what's the promise? He did go away. If I go away, if I depart, the Bible says, I will send him unto you. Him, the third person of the Godhead, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that we have the comfort of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. When my parents were flying in the other day, my wife and I were preparing for them. Every time mom and dad comes, it seems like it's very cold here. It's a running joke in my family. Dad will ask me what the temperature is. I'll tell him the temperature. And the next word, sometimes he says it, sometimes he spells it out in a few words. Uh, sometimes they'll type IHC, and that's not International Harvester Company. Not talking about a, a tractor, for those of you that know tractors. Uh, IHC is short for I Hate Canada. And uh, believe it or not, it's warmer here than it is in West Virginia right now. Uh, God is judging him. Uh, but I'm not sure how that works, though. He's enjoying it. But as we were preparing for them, my wife said, oh, we better put some extra blankets on the bed in case they get cold. We have a blanket at our house that our girls have officially named Big Fluff. Now, Big Fluff is the warmest blanket ever made on the face of the earth. Big Fluff, you could go inside of that, live in the Arctic for six months in the winter, and you'll be sweating. It's the most obnoxiously hot blanket that has ever been made. Uh, I'm not sure what it's made out of, Brother Mike, but, man, it's... It may, be, it may be caribou hair. I don't know what it is, but, man, it's, it's hot. And we put that on there, and it's a thick comforter. And the next morning after they slept in it, my mom thought she was going to die. She didn't want that much comfort. It was too hot. You know, we use the word in our culture today, if you have a blanket on the bed, the comforter. That's the way we most normally use that word. And we created that word in our vernacular for a blanket because that's, it wraps us, it comforts us, it warms us. I love the fact tonight that Jesus promised, when I go away, I'm going to send a comforter. Amen. And we see him call, he's called him, I'll send him unto you. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that came to live inside you the moment you believed. The Holy Spirit that wraps around you and gives you warmth and encourages you and leads you and guides you in all truth. That is a promise of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can take that promise to the bank. You can take that promise to the bank. As we look here, we begin with the promise of the comforter. Number two, we see the promise of the counselor. Verse number 13. Howbeit when he, that same he we talked about a moment ago, the, the Holy Spirit, howbeit when he, the Spirit, capital S, notice a person again, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you in all truth, 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Christian, can I tell you one of the blessings, one of the promises of Jesus Christ, contingent upon him leaving, and he did, is that he sends us a counselor. Counselor. How many of you have a friend that has convinced you to do things that you should not do before? How many of you, I was that friend for you? I see, I see that hand, Brother Darren. Uh, you, know, yeah, you know, sometimes we, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, hey, yeah, you should do it. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we, we get wrong counsel sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we, we listen to the, the wrong people. Some, by the way, teenagers are not the only people that listen to the wrong counsel. Uh, sometimes people that are 40, 50, 60 years old, we listen to the wrong counsel to. Amen. You know, we talk about peer pressure. Peer pressure doesn't, it's, it's every group has a peer group. And when we take wrong counsel, it doesn't matter if it's coming from a 12-year-old kid with a pimple in the end of his nose uh, or a 60-year-old man with no hair on his head. It's wrong counsel. But the Bible tells us that he gives us, and one of the promises is a counselor. Now, what's the job of the counselor here that we read about in verse 13? He will guide you into everything that feels good. That's not what it says. He'll guide you into all truth. Some of you know last Sunday I, I had a couple hour discussion with a fella with lots of struggles. About an, hour, about an hour and a half into the conversation, I said to him, and some of you are here, you probably heard me talking because I got pretty aggressive with him. I said, look, I said, if you're not willing to listen to me, we're going to end our discussion. And then I said to him, I said, look, I said, we have to decide what is absolute truth. Is it what you feel or what you think or what you say has happened or is it what God says? And I explained to that man, and I believe all of us need to understand, the word of God is truth. Amen. And when we drift away from truth into what we feel or what we think or what we want, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Yes. If I get away from truth, I'm wrong, the truth is right. Because I move does not make truth move. Truth never moves. It's always the same. And if I take away that anchor, by the way, one of the issues whenever we live by feelings or we live by emotions, there's no anchor. There's, there's no stability. And it can cause everything in your life to fall apart. But I love the fact that the Holy Spirit of God grabs us and pulls us back to truth. It's our counselor to truth. I used to work as a mechanic not a certified mechanic, but I worked for a car lot as a mechanic when I was newly married, part-time, for a few months a year. And while I worked in that mechanic shop, it was actually a car lot. It was a used car lot. We were the $999 special car lot. Anybody ever been to a car lot like that? You know, cheap cars, super cheap cars. We financed in-house for a $999 car. Can I tell you what, the, when you finance in-house for a $999 car, can I tell you what else we did? We repoed vehicles every day uh, because people wouldn't pay. 
Uh, I was always asked to go into the bad parts of Gary, Indiana to repo the vehicles because everybody always assumed if I was there, I was a cop because I was a big white guy in a neighborhood where a big white guy did not belong. And I would go and repo vehicles, and I worked on vehicles, and I learned about some vehicles. I learned about some engines. I learned some things that I did not know. At the time, this is back in the late 1990s, I learned that Ford... Motor Company, when they designed the Ford Taurus car, when they designed that 3.8 liter engine, how many of you remember those, maybe owned one? They did not, the engineers did not design the radiator or the transmission cooler big enough. Because of that flaw, they blew head gaskets. And I mean like it was religious, they blew head gaskets. We used to buy them every week at the auction with the bone head gasket. We'd bring them in, and horrible K-member to drop the engine. I've dropped, I don't know how many of those engines and changed engines. I've dropped those transmissions and changed transmissions because they blew head gaskets. They burned transmissions. If you told me uh, back then, hey, would you like to have a Ford Taurus with a 3.8? No. <laughs> I don't want it. I know better than that. Now, there was another car that was not quite as notorious, but another engine that always had problems was... Another was a GM engine. It was a 2.3 quad four engine. Now they put that 2.3 quad four engine in the Grand Am and other small cars in the early 90s. And it was a reasonably fuel efficient engine. It was a decent engine. But it was also notorious for blowing head gaskets. I knew that. I'd, I'd worked on them. I, I knew the history. I took my wife once car shopping. It was minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. It was like Edmonton weather in Chicago. It was bad. I think my wife almost got frostbite that day. And we went to dealership after dealership. And my wife knows a lot about cars. My wife's car knowledge goes to that's a green car and that's a blue car. That's the color. That, that's, that's what she knows about cars. And we went to one of the dealerships, and we saw this car. It was a green car. It was a Pontiac Grand Am. Now, it was a little bit small for me, a little narrow in the seat, because I'm a little wide in the seat. Uh, it was a little, a little narrow in the chest, and I'm a little wide in the chest. And eh, it didn't fit me the greatest, but it was going to be her car. And got in it. She loved it because it was green. And we weren't finding any cars that were a good deal. That was a good deal. And I popped the hood, and I looked, and I saw the badging, 2.3 liter quad four. And I went, ah, oh, 2.4 quad, ah. Uh. And I said to myself, no way. <laughs> I know better. I looked, and then I, no, I don't want that car. And we went and looked at a couple, just could not find what we wanted. Now, let me preface it by saying the vehicle we had was getting ready to die. And I mean tragically die. We had to find a vehicle that day. Finally, we went back to that dealership that had the green car. And I looked inside, and I saw the dash. It didn't just have dummy lights. It had gauges. And Brother Bonnie, I said, you know what? It'll be different for me because there's gauges. If I watch the temperature gauge, if it never overheats, I'll never blow head gasket. And I convinced myself to buy a car that I knew I should not buy because my wife wanted the green car. Now, the good news is, as I worked the deal, 
after I, just as I signed the papers to finalize the deal, I traded in my vehicle. The mechanics came in after driving my vehicle and told them the transmission dropped in the parking lot. And I said, thank you, I'm out of here now. Uh, I had a written agreement, it was done, hallelujah. But we drove that car home, it was a blessing. I took my wife up to Wisconsin. We went up to the Apostle Islands on a holiday for anniversary. On the way back from that trip, northern Wisconsin, the car never overheated, Brother Bonnie. I watched that gauge, never overheated. I never let the oil get low. The temp never went up. The coolant never changed. I blew a head gasket. And I sat there and went, you idiot. I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to me because I knew better. I knew better. I knew what was going to happen. But I convinced myself that it would be different. Can I tell you, Christian, we do that all the time. We know what God's word says. But we say, you know what, it will be different for me. I can handle that sin. I I can handle missing church. I I, I can handle uh, not doing what God wants. It will be all right. I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to date an unbeliever, but you know, it'll be different for me. I'll lead him to Christ. No, you won't. And the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of us, and he counsels us and leads us and pulls us back to the Word of God. We have a counselor that brings us back to truth. Number three, quickly. Verse number eight. We have a promise of the convicting one. And when he has come... Understand, this promise is all contingent on Jesus leaving. He left. In other words, the comforter came. And then it says, when he's come, in verse 8, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He convicts. How many of you remember test day at school? Take the test. Teacher, take the test up. Maybe after the test, she, she or he would grade the test. Maybe that day, maybe the next day, they'd pass the test back out. Jeff would get his test. F on top of the test. X, 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 X. Now, you probably got them all right. But the X is, oh, it's probably Corinne that got the F. All the X's down. Man! I thought that was right. Oh, man, I thought that was right. I thought that was right. But you get reproved. You get corrected. The Holy Spirit, one of the promises of the Holy Spirit is that he'll convict us. Convict us. By the way, can I, can I say this? That a child of God, a true child of God who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, you will be convicted in sin. Now, you can sin. Absolutely. Matter of fact, there's no one who's ever going to stop sinning. Never going to stop. But you'll be miserable. The most miserable, I believe, the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are Christians living outside the will of God. Living outside the will of God. You ever got a rock in your shoe? Ever had that happen? Every step. Oh! You finally get a chance to take your, trying to find it and 
and you think, oh, I got it out. You put your shoe back on by the mic, and ah, it's still there. It just drives you crazy. It just irritates you that finally you get it out. The Holy Spirit convicts us, reproves us, corrects us. And you say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> That's not a very good promise. You ever fallen asleep in the wheel of your car? You ever been going down the highway at night, maybe late at night, traveling somewhere? You're trying to stay awake and all of a sudden not even realize it. And you nod off. And the car begins to veer over till you hit the rumple strips on the side of the highway. <laughs> and you wake up. Oh, man. Whew. Almost went off the road. If it weren't for those rumple strips. Can I tell you the purpose of those rumple strips is to save your life. Keep you safe. Keep you where you ought to be. Christian, the Holy Spirit convicts you and me to keep us where we ought to be. Keep us safe. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the convicting one. Now look, let's shift gears a bit. Turn to John 16, verse 22. Down to verse 22, we saw three promises in regards to the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. We can look at several passages here. Look at verse 16. A little while and ye shall not see me, Jesus said. And again, a, a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. We have here the promise Number four of the coming. Number four, the promise of the coming. Jesus said, hey, fellas, I'm, I'm going to go away. And there's going to be a space of time when you're not going to see me, and I'm not going to be there with you. But then a little time's going to pass. And you're going to see me again. Now that little time, the disciples had the same problem we have. The disciples are talking amongst themselves and said, what's he talking about? Like, is, he, is he going out for a couple hours? Is he going for a couple days? I mean, what's he mean? What's he talking about? We don't understand it. We don't understand his timeline either. But we know he's coming back. I don't know when. By the way, you don't either. By the way, that uh, YouTube preacher that you listen to, he doesn't know either. Matter of fact, he's a heretic. You ought to stop listening to him if he told you when he's coming. Any preacher that tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, don't ever listen to them again. They're heretics. They're antichrist. Because God says no man knoweth the day nor the hour. You don't know. I don't know. The angels in heaven don't know. I don't believe the saints in heaven know. Why? Because God says only my Father which is in heaven. Only my Father which is in heaven. But I tell you what, although I don't know when, and you don't know when, I remember when I was a teenager, a guy wrote a book, Jesus was coming back in 1988. You remember that, Miss Lois? 
Man, it swept the country. It swept the world. Jesus coming back in 1988. Man, people, man, is Jesus really coming back? Man, he's coming back in 1988. Guess what? He didn't come back in 1988. But it doesn't change the fact he is coming back. That promise is never changing. It's not changing. He is coming back. We have the promise of his return. Verse 23. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Number five, we have the promise of commitment. The promise of commitment. Jesus said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to commit to meet your needs. I'll meet them. I had the privilege of meeting a man who was a multimillionaire. Well, I've met a few multimillionaires. But one by the name of Tom Raper. He's in heaven now, I believe. Mr. Raper owned an RV business, the largest in eastern United States, maybe the largest in North America, I think. Mr. Raper, Tom Raper, was a Christian, good man, faithful man. I went to preach, or went to be at a meeting in Indiana. And Mr. Raper and his wife, they were retired. They sold the business. They sold their business, and they also sold the name of the business because it was the most recognizable business on the eastern side of the United States by name. He told me, I can't remember how much that he got paid just for the name of the business to keep the, the name. It was millions of dollars. This guy lived in a different world than I live in. You know, I, I live in a, back then it was a, a 99 cent value menu uh, world. Uh, they don't have 99 cent menus anymore. They did back then. You know, he lived in a caviar world, a no, little different world. You know, the only fish eggs I ever ate were the ones that came out of the catfish when we gutted them in the back porch. Uh, you know, they weren't in little tins and black. You know, they were squirming around. But he was there. He preached and shared his testimony. Powerful, powerful message. But I got to spend some time with him a couple days. He took us out to eat a couple times. Every time we went somewhere to eat, before we would go in, Mr. Raper would tell all of the missionaries and preachers, look, I'm paying for this. You order, and he would, whatever, he'd just tell us, you order this and this, went to the shake shop one time, you have to, you have to order this, 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 and this. Because he knew us cheap folks <laughs> were going to go in and go, What's the cheapest thing they got? Okay, I'll take one of those. He said, no, I'm paying for this. This is on me. We went into Pizza Hut one night, and he, I can't remember, I think he called ahead and just said, hey, I want the whole restaurant. We had the whole Pizza Hut. He walked in and laid, I can't remember how much money it was on the counter, and said to the waitress, you don't worry about your tip. It's, this is your tip already. You're going to do a great job. This is all for you. I mean, he took care of everything. That restaurant is almost like he bought the restaurant that night. I mean, it was ours. Whatever we wanted. If I would have told them, Brother Bonnie, I wanted a bubblegum pizza, they would have made me a bubblegum pizza. I mean, because they knew Tom Raper. This was in Indiana. Everyone knew Mr. Raper. They knew he was good for it. He'd take care of it. He committed. He came and said, hey, I'm caring for all this. Now, he had some clout. He had some financial power. He was a good man. Not, a, not a, a worldly man. Very, very spiritual, very godly man. 
Can I tell you that my God has more power than Tom Raper ever thought about? He has more wealth than Bill Gates and all the other folks that hold piles of money. And he said in this verse, in verse 23, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask my Father in my name, I'll give it to you. Yesterday at the wedding ceremony, Elizabeth and John committed themselves one to another. As a picture of the commitment we have to Christ, but that commitment's to a two-way street, only Christ's commitment to you and I is perfect. As he commits fully and wholly to you and to me. And we see the promise of his commitment. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. At that day you shall ask nothing. Uh, I'm sorry, look at verse uh, 23 there. And that day shall ask nothing, verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye ask in the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. Verse 26, and that day shall ask in my name, and I say not to you that I will, I will pray the Father for you. Number 6, verse 26 there, we see we have the promise of the contender. The promise of the contender. Some of you know Keith, my neighbor from Gibbons from years ago. Keith was at the reception last night. Some of you saw him and talked with him. Dear family friend, we've known for years and years and years and years. Keith works in the, the medical field. He found out about my, my injury. He messaged me Monday and he said, when are they doing surgery? And I said, they're not doing surgery. I said, they're doing physical therapy. Keith lost his mind. He said, that's stupid. They're not, taking, they're not doing the right thing. And he... he he went off on a tangent. And he decided he was going to go on the war path. And he was going to make them take care of me the right way. So he started researching. Man, he, he, he got all the paperwork from Alberta Health Services. He looked at every document and every data flow of this, then this, and this. He, he got all, like pages and pages and pages. He showed me of all the paperwork regarding my injury. And he was fired up. Man, they need to do surgery. They, somebody dropped the ball. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they're going to do it. I'm going to call them. And he went through all the paperwork, and then he went, oh, yeah, they did the right thing. But he was on the warpath. He was ready to go to battle for me. He was ready to fight for me. I love the fact that my Savior, he promises here, I'll, I'll talk to the Father. I'll talk to the Father for you. Amen. I'll never forget the night that we counseled with our pastor. We were praying, my wife and I were praying about having children. And it seemed the Lord wasn't going to allow us to have children. It seemed that Carrie's womb was going to stay closed. and We were going to die having nothing but you know, a house full of cats or something. That would have been a miserable way to live. <laughs> we went to see our pastor. We're going to counsel with him, ask us to pray for him. Ask him to pray for us and anoint us with oil. And the night that we were to meet him, he said from the pulpit, large church. He said, I, I'm sorry if I was going to meet with you tonight. I can't meet with you. I'm very busy. I won't be able to have any appointments tonight. And our hearts sank. But his wife came to us and said, he'll see you. You go in the hallway. What? No, no, he said, you go wait in the hallway. 
And we watched from a distance, about from here to those glass doors, as his wife walked down the hallway, knocked on his door. He opened the door. She went in the office. The office was closed for about maybe a minute. The door opened up. Pastor's wife walked out. Well, Howes walked and said, okay, come on in. I'll see you now. Why? Because his wife said, you're going to see those people. She had set up the appointment. She said, you're going to see them. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ promised to contend, promised to go to the Father for you? He, he is my interceding for me in heaven even now. He, he, he's on my side. He's on your side. How wonderful it is that he promises to go to the Father here. And lastly, we'll look at the last promise and we'll close here. Verse 33. Verse 33 of John 16. As we circle the wagons back and then back up where we began this morning. These things, what things? The things we read here in John 16. These promises we've looked at tonight. These things have I spoken unto you that in, ye, in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We had the promise, lastly, of contentment. 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 Satisfied. In the midst, as the Bible says here, in a world of tribulation. But I can have peace. I can be content. I can be satisfied. If you look around you, you'll find out we live in a world that's not satisfied. Mr. Jagger sang the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. He sang a song that all the world feels the pain of without Jesus Christ. Because there is no satisfaction without Christ. There's no satisfaction in sin. Moses understood and Moses knew that sin was pleasurable. Yet for a season. Eventually the satisfaction wears off. How many of you have ever eaten a big meal? And some kind of food that you've eaten. Man, I'm so full. And then like an hour later you're hungry. You ever had that happen before? How many of you it was Chinese food? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's magical. I don't know something about fried rice. Man, you can eat fried rice until you feel like you're going to die. And then five minutes later, Brother Eric... I need to eat something else. Uh, I don't know what happens. It just disappears out of your body somehow. I don't know where it goes. But, you know, you're just, oh, I'm so full. And then, oh, I'm not full. Many years ago, on May 5th, it was probably 10 years ago, probably 2013, May 5th. I went to a restaurant that used to be on the West End called Taco Del Mar. Miss Lois, you remember Taco Del Mar? Man, that was our restaurant. We went there every Sunday on the way out to the Paul Band. Almost every Sunday of the world, we would, after the morning service, we'd drive there and we'd have lunch and then I'd go preach on the Paul Band and then we'd come back and I'd preach here at night. 
We went there because the food was good, but kids ate free. Hallelujah. And I had three kids, and I'm cheap. And we would go there and eat. Well, they did. They used to, when they existed, they used to do what they called the on Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May, Mexican Independence Day, they did a five-pound burrito. And if you ate the five-pound burrito, it was free. You had to eat it in 30 minutes. It, five pounds. Literally, like, you know, a newborn baby. <laughs> Wrapped in a blanket. Kind of, a little different. Mess, not quite as messy as a newborn, but, you know... And I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I went there, and speaking of Keith, he was there with me to cheer me on. And uh, he was my driver because I knew I might not be able to drive myself home. And I tried, man, I fought my way through that burrito, and I ate the whole thing. But I finished it like in 35 minutes instead of 30 minutes. And I knew the owner, we were there every week of the world, and he charged me half. He let me pay for half of it. And, uh, but can I tell you what I ate for the next two days? Nothing. I was Googling, can a man have a cesarean section? Oh, man, I've got to get this burrito out of me. I've got to look. I'm going to carry this thing nine months. I was... I don't want anything. I got nothing. I don't want to eat anything. But you know what happened eventually, Brother Jeff? I started eating again. Well, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll eat again. But Christ promises us contentment, satisfaction, peace. This is just a little skim of the surface of the promises of God. But seven promises of Christ here tonight that we can place into the room of our mind to give us peace. Peace that passeth understanding. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the peace that passeth understanding. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Lord, we live in a world that's not satisfied, never satisfied. And yet, we can live in this sin-cursed world and have satisfaction and peace from you. Lord, we see so many wonderful promises here tonight to be reminded of. Thank you for being our comforter, Holy Spirit. Wrapping around us, encouraging us, helping us. Thank you for being our counselor to lead us and guide us back to truth. Always back to truth. Always back to truth. Lord, I thank you for that conviction. You promised. Conviction to get us back on course. Conviction to keep us in a safe place. Conviction to keep us in the center of your will. Conviction to keep us on the path of blessing. Well, thank you for your coming. Lord, I thank you that although I don't know when, I know you will come again. Lord, thank you for committing to, to meet our needs. As you came and said, I'll take care of everything. I'll pay the bill. I'll do it all. Whatever you need, it's on me. Well, thank you for being committed to us. Help us to be committed to you. Well, Lord, thank you for going to the Father for us. Lord, how wonderful it is that we have these promises and so many more. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather and praise you. Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight during this
short time of invitation. Lord, just to take a couple of moments to thank you and praise you. Maybe a few minutes to think about these promises, to let them stir us, to let them remove the things that ought not be in our mind and bring that peace that we so desperately need. Lord, would you work in our hearts? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you